Vinkatesh Sitharam is an architect and developer with Hortonworks. Vinkatesh, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks, Jeff, for having me on board. You have been working on Hadoop since 2006. What was it like to work on Hadoop back then? That's an interesting question. You know, I was at uh, Thomson Learning, now Cengage Learning in, in 2006. We were trying to, I was a distributed search architect, and we were trying to build a distributed search engine, and we had billions of documents, and encoding was a challenge. So we saw this shiny new toy called Hadoop, and, you know, I started trying it out uh, towards the end of 2006. Hadoop was probably at 0.10 uh, version. And, you know, it was pretty hard to use. A lot of things were not working. And I started very actively reaching out to the core developers um, in on the Hadoop team and befriended one guy, uh, Devraj. And, you know, I, had, I got certain patches and yeah, it was interesting because what took us days to encode, you know, was done in my first version in six hours. Uh, that was very, very attractive for us and, you know, started scaling out and working through the issues and got to 0.12, which was much more stable by 2007. And we actually deployed it to pseudo production where it was encoding billions of documents into, into leucine indices. Um, and what have been the most dramatic improvements since 2006, 2007? Well, it's countless. I mean, Hadoop was not usable and not stable. There was no security. In 20, we added security at Yahoo. There was Kerberos support. Then there was a lot of improvements in stability of uh, Hadoop with, you know, 20, uh, 20 version. We actually had about 11 or 12 release candidates for 20, which worked through various stability issues of Drop Tracker. And the most significant improvement that I see with Hadoop from, you know, uh, in the 2007 to today is the Yarn operating data operating system. The, the resource module is completely rewritten from you know, Hadoop 1.0 to Hadoop 2.0 so that it can support different workloads. You know, if you know Hadoop, Hadoop supports MapReduce uh, workloads quite well. And that's the differentiator compared to other resource managers that exist in, in, the, in the industry today. So you mentioned that, the, the Yarn. What, what is Yarn? So Yarn essentially is what we call uh, a data operating system. Yarn allows you to deploy a piece of software which can support multiple types of workloads. One of the classic workloads that come with Hadoop is, you know, or, you know, I would say was, is MapReduce. And you can, you know, distribute your processing compute on, you know, terabytes to petabytes of data across nodes. And that was one of the paradigms supported. Today, we have multiple, you know, paradigms, um, programming paradigms, execution paradigms like Spark, Taze, Flink, Apache Flink, and each has its own pros and cons, right? I mean, it's it's end of the day, what suits your workload or your use case. And Yarn has made this possible where we had only one programming paradigm, which was MapReduce, to allowing us to actually scale out and process petabytes of data across, you know, networked computers or nodes uh, in a matter of, you know, a few minutes to hours uh, by allowing this uh, open-ended uh, programming par- paradigms to be developed on top of it. The other one important thing is MPI, right? And Spark kind of w- works really well with iterative uh, algorithms, which was so in MapReduce. Great, yeah. So I want to get into Spark eventually, um, and I, I also want to touch on Apache Flink, but... 
Um, let's get a little more context about you and where you work. What is Hortonworks? Hortonworks was we, you know, we were looking at in 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 you know I was not there in two thousand six, but the Yahoo search team YST was looking to scale out the web crawling from you know thousand node cluster to something beyond that because the web map was very big, right? So you know there. There were a couple of guys, Eric Waldeschweiler, uh, who was the VP of the team who actually, you know, created Hadoop. The, he and Remy Stada, who was the CTO at Yahoo, you know, hired Duck Cutting, who was actually working on Nutch, into Yahoo. And they started a new initiative uh, called uh, Hadoop within Yahoo, uh, which was available as, you know, Nutch within the open source community. Um, and in 2011, when Hadoop became kind of, very disruptive. A lot of enterprises started adopting uh, Hadoop, thanks to Cloudera, of course. In 2011, Yahoo spun Hortonworks off as a separate company to actually support Hadoop customers with a very unique uh, business proposition, which is complete 100% open source Apache Hadoop. So are you you saying, does Yahoo own Hortonworks? They don't, they don't own, we are an independent company, but they invested in Hortonworks. So in that sense, they have some ownership. Yes. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. What do you work on at Hortonworks? So I've been, you know, working on data management uh, slash ETL for, you know, the better part of my life at Yahoo and Hortonworks. So I started, you know, a data management uh, initiative which started with, you know, extract and eventually built, you know, the transform transformations and, you know, data quality and cleansing and DR capabilities within Yahoo, which was working at internet scale. It was, you know, managing 300 terabytes of data over 3,000, you know, data sets um, at Yahoo. Then, you know, we saw that when we came to Hortonworks, you know, we wanted to have an ETL tool that was bundled along with HTTP, which is open source. So I worked with Pentaho and Talon and you know, eventually got Talon bundled uh, along with uh, HTTP with Apache license. And then worked around data integration uh, pieces. You know, we had some pieces of Scoop, Flume, and Uzi and got that as part of the HTTP Hardenworks data platform distribution. And after about a year, year and a half, once these settled, you know, we, I went out and created Apache Falcon along with my friends at Inmobi. Uh, these are the people that I worked at Yahoo and they had some form and shape of Apache Falcon, which essentially is a data processing and data lifecycle management uh, platform for Hadoop, and got it into Apache, incubated it in Apache, and you know made it part of Hortonworks uh, data platform. For the past seven months, I've been working on you know data governance solution, uh, which which is incubated in the form of Apache Atlas and shipped with Hortonworks data platform today. Right, and so we'll go into that eventually. Sure. Um, I'd like to shift to talking about um, a general challenge that uh, that I think exists in the big data world right now, which is the transition from mostly batch processing to architectures that have streaming and batch. How do you see this transition and the problems associated with it how do you see that transition manifested in Hortonworks' customers? That's a very interesting question. So everything starts out small and batch, right? And, you know, people start out with their research clusters until they prove some value. Once they prove the value, now they want to, you know, take what they had, you know, which runs daily or even weekly 
to starting with smaller intervals. This is a typical pattern that repeats in every enterprise customer that I see. You know, you start out daily or weekly and then want to make it hourly. And, you know, once you see a lot of value, you want to run that every minute and then start, you know, near, near real-time streaming. And that transition is not very easy today, right? So because we have different solutions for batch and different solutions for streaming uh, streaming analytics. So we have, you know, Apache Falcon, which is batch. Uh, you know, you can fire up Uzi as well and build your own, roll your own data processing platform. Uh, using Hive, Pig, and other components, or you use, you know, Storm or you know other solutions for streaming. Um, and so, but- so this this transitionary process, um, you know, most most customers are probably going to to go with with a managed big data platform in order to to do this, or they'll already be on a managed big data platform. So you know, there's like Hortonworks and Cloudera, and yes, um, and then MapR and some other ones. So how does the how does the approach? Uh, maybe we could use this transition from batch to streaming to uh, describe you know uh, the differences between uh, you know between these different managed big data platforms. Like if you if you know for for these different uh, managed big data platforms, how would the approach differ between, for example, Cloudera and Hortonworks if they had a customer or if you had a customer? That wanted to get batch, uh, wanted to get streaming uh, functionality to complement their batch functionality. Well, that's a good question. So, you know, I am not an expert in Cloudera. Uh, you know, enterprise. Sure, you don't have top. to speak to Cloudera. So, you could, you could yeah. also just speak about Hortonworks. Sure. But you know, largely, you know, we have a solution in the form of Apache Falcon, which gives you a higher layer of abstraction to work with. We define the three entities, the, the trinity, the infrastructure, the data on that infrastructure, one or more infrastructure, and then you have processing, right? So you can express this in a higher layer language and, you know, farm out your processing. Cloudera has taken a much more API-driven, you know, uh, approach with Kite SDK. Um, so that's, you know, pretty interesting. Uh, but Hardworks gives you these tools on on top of Hadoop to work with, you know, where it is not API-driven, but, you know, work with different abstractions and declarative language. The, the, the thing that, you know, is most interesting to me is, you know, you would never get away with batch because streaming is very good for getting the last 15 minutes, you know, kind of aggregations and simple aggregations. You can't do, you know, over time aggregations where you have rolling windows and things like that. But if you want any complex, you know, analytics, you would still need batch. So I think they go both side by side and you aggregate results from both of them. So there is a new architecture that uh, Nathan Mars from Twitter, uh, you know, called Trident, right? It, it basically marries both streaming and, you know, batch analytics and, and has solution which kind of, you know, uh, collates both of them and surfaces those results. Could you describe that Trident solution? So essentially, you have you basically run your batch for you know older data for three months, one month, or you know daily, and the last hour or whatever latency that you want, however capacity that you want, you keep computing the streaming results over over a, over an hour because you know batch runs probably on the hour and streaming gives you the last hour's data as well. So you combine this last day's run or up to an hour. And then the last 15 minutes or the last 30 minutes run, combine them and surface the results up. So you have the latest data in your analytics for you to, you know, look at. Does it make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. 
So there's been an explosion of these managed big data platforms like Hortonworks, Cloudera, Confluent, and many others. How have the expectations of your customers changed as there has been this growth of managed big data companies? That's a very, you know, good question and a problem as well, right? I mean, there is there is a lot of tooling that's happening. And we Hadoop is so raw and, you know, immature at this point in terms of adoption that, you know, a lot of people are creating parallel solutions. You know, there are differences in those solutions as well. I think given the next three to five years, there has to be consolidation. We already see a lot of consolidation now, you know, like Hortonworks acquired a security company, right? Uh, XS Secure, and we open sourced it called Ranger. Um, Cloudera acquired Gazang, another security company. So there is some consolidation in security. I'm pretty sure, you know, there are, there are a lot of new tools that are coming up. So Confluent is an interesting one that they don't actually support Hadoop, but they have this, you know, um, messaging broker called Kafka, uh, which works really well out of, uh, you know, on top of Hadoop and streaming analytics uh, solutions on top of Hadoop. So that is one uh, area that has not seen a lot of explosion. But if you look at streaming analytics itself, we have DataTorrent, which has a product called Apex. We have uh, Storm, which, you know, Hortonworks and Cloudera supports. We have Spark Streaming. We also have Samza from LinkedIn. I'm not sure if, you know, Confluent supports it or not, Samza. But they go, you know, Kafka and Samza go together. So I'm, and there is also a lot of new companies like StreamSearch. A few of my friends from Cloudera, you know, started and Informatica started StreamSearch, which does, you know, streaming analytics. So I'm, I'm seeing there is a lot of tools that are popping up. And I think eventually, once everything matures, there will be some consolidation. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. I mean, it, it seems like the type of thing where, like, even if there was consolidation, there's no way that the consolidation would outpace the amount of new products that would develop in the area. And so yes. it's so the way that I see it is like, you know, this this future, there's this really worrisome future of just like this explosion, like in the data center, there's this explosion of products that you really want to patch onto your onto your big data architecture like you know mesos docker uh etc 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 it's just like oh my god i have so many of these things and i'm not sure how to configure all of them am i spending like am i going to be spending the entire day on the phone with different uh, you know different cloud service providers like is that the is that a potential future that's a wonderful question so you you nailed it so it is true that there's confusion, but that's where, you know, distribution companies like Hortonworks, Cloudera, and MapR, right? And, you know, Pivotal and IBM come in. They take the best of breed technologies, right? Certified against these platforms and say, this is what a reference architecture looks like for certain use cases, right? Or these use cases. And these, distri- you know, I call these distribution companies because they own the Hadoop distribution. But they also give you this certification process, and we work with partners to certify those products against uh, the stack and give you a holistic view of you know, what works better for certain use cases. So I think these companies are already consolidating you know, many solutions, not that there will be islands of solutions, but you know, a big customer, an enterprise customer to reduce its risk should go through one of these uh, distribution companies and take their expertise and land the tools that actually work. 
So if to give you an example, you know, we have created this data governance solution called Apache Atlas. We actually have a governance ready certification that we work with multiple partners for different areas of uh, use cases that they cover. And that means, you know, if you have a certain use case and if that partner is already certified on this product, you can go ahead and buy them. So there is no confusion there. Does it make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I mean, one thing I'm curious about is, like, is the, like, as we have, you know, an increasing explosion of big data products, we have more and more problems in the data center, more varietal problems. Is there any chance that the number of solutions architects that we need will not keep up with the amount of problems that we have? Um, see, more as more adoption grows and more and more people start to architect solutions, there will be best practices that will emerge out of these solutions, right? So as I said, people who are, you know, you don't have to be bleeding edge to use Hadoop now. If you're leading edge, you can use Hadoop, right? People, there are laggards as well. So the, the problem is with laggards. If you have leading edge today, there are solutions in Hadoop. You can talk to the community, which is very open. And there are a lot of use cases and best practices already, you know, uh, available. There is even a book called, you know, at O'Reilly called Hadoop Best Practices. Um, so I think more and more vertical specific best, best practices will evolve over time. And we already have an initiative where we are creating reference architectures for each vertical. We have Mark, which leads our vertical-centric solutions, and he's hiring GMs from different verticals for healthcare, retail, you know, insurance, and things like that. So I think it's over time, I expect reference architectures and best practices to evolve so that you don't need to scale technology with you know, solution architects. Does that make sense? Interesting. Yeah, no, that's, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, it's sort of like, you know, maybe today, you know, we don't hire, uh, you know, scrum masters or, or agile coaches as much anymore because that stuff yes. has become such institutional knowledge. You know, you can yes. just kind of look it up on the Internet if you really don't know it. So um, let's let's talk a bit about your open source projects and then and then we can maybe use that to to segue into a discussion of Spark, because I think Spark is Spark or streaming in general storm is a is an important topic to discuss but to get to get a, to touch on your open source projects you you're you've worked on a project called Falcon and Apache mm-hmm. Falcon is a data lifecycle management framework what is the data lifecycle that's a very good question so typically right you get your data into hadoop you ingest data or extract data from external systems into hadoop hadoop is not a transactional system and it's not the source of truth so you have various ways of collecting your data from your web servers, from your transactional systems, from legacy systems, what have you, and the data lands in Hadoop, right? Once the data lands in Hadoop, there are certain compliance policies, also capacity planning. You can't have data keep growing forever and keep the data, old data forever. So, And you can also cannot rely on users to adhere to any compliance policies. One of the policies is, you know, very simple policies, a disposition rule. This data, which has, you know, PII information, cannot live on a Hadoop cluster for more than 90 days. That means that one, it has to be anonymized and kept. The second thing is the raw data cannot be cannot live there for more than 90 days, right? That's an example. The anonymized data should live for compliance reasons for seven years, right? So that means, you know, you have to have a policy that says 
I need to dispose this data after three months. Somebody has to do it. Today, the tools that that come with Hadoop, right? Not everything works the way it should. Even in the in the in the data warehouse world, right? Fifty percent of them use tooling like Informatica, you know, Data Stage, uh, whatever else, Talent, Pentaho. In the Hadoop world, people everything you know roll in their own uh, uh, backroom, right? They write scripts to do this. So what we saw was we took a bunch of use cases, reusable use cases, out of the box uh, and packaged them with with this tool called Apache Falcon. The first thing is you know the disposition rule. The second one is if you are processing your data, you want to take your data from production for disaster recovery and put it in your you know copy it into your uh, BCP cluster, right, if you will. Also, Hadoop has a very different usage. Uh, there are different classes of users. One is your production user. The other one is, you know, research users. You may have, you know, dev users. You may want to copy this data over to different class of, you know, Hadoop clusters, which are partitioned, you know, physically as separate clusters. So you want replication of this data, right, to achieve one is the disaster recovery or, you know, BCP the other is different class of users. And you want these replication policies to be dynamic. As soon as data becomes available, you want to copy this data without you know, uh, a lag, right, with some SLA. So this essentially is what we call lifecycle, the copying of this data for DR, you right. know, this, right. evicting this data. The other thing that Falcon provides, which is very interesting, is this pipelines, right, data pipelines. You can express you know, a process in Falcon and chain them together based on these data dependencies between them. So you can have a multiple staged uh, processing lifecycle that goes from, you know, let's say ingest to doing some transformations, series of transformations to the data and generating an output, right, which will be consumed by reporting. So you export the data into your reporting, you know, software or database and start, you know, churning reports or dashboards, what have Right, and so, and so it, there's a Falcon example that I'll include in the show notes where you talk about the failover that it provides, and you've got a four-stage data pipeline, and the four stages are staged data, cleansed data, conformed data, and presented data. The presented data is the end result that somebody would consume in Tableau or some other analytics platform, and... As I understand, the example that that uh, that you're trying to display for the Falcon is that Falcon can Fal- Falcon allows you to define points along that data pipeline where you yes. want replication. So yes. so so in, so in your example, you know, you've got this four stage data pipeline, and you decide to replicate at the first stage and at the last stage. Is that correct? Yes. yes. So and you you can have different eviction policies for each of these stages intermediate data as well you can keep the intermediate data for some time or you can actually delete the intermediate data right after the processing is done okay cool that seems super useful so so i want to jump i want to jump on to, to talking about apache Knox gateway which is another platform that you've worked on um so apache Knox gateway is a rest api gateway for interacting with hadoop clusters what is a rest api gateway that's a good question. So Knox was built to work around the security issues with Hadoop. Hadoop security is based on Kerberos. That means, you know, if a user has to get a Kerberos token from the KDC before they actually use a service of Hadoop, that means users have to have access to 
the edge nodes in the Hadoop cluster. So there are some front nodes. Typically, a Hadoop cluster does not have access to any users, right? Because it's all, you know, protected. So you can't even get to an IP address of your cluster. So what to work around the Kerberos, secure Kerberos issues, what we do is we give you a set of nodes that you can log in, get a Kerberos token, and then interact with the services. This, this makes it very hard for applications to interact with Hadoop, right? Because they can't log into a head node. So Knox was created as a simple gateway or a proxy to actually proxy your request from your external applications and use the rest RESTful API across the components in the Hadoop uh, stack. So, so Knox is a very simple, you know, you it's like a single sign-on. You you actually interact with Knox. You can it has plugins to interact with your LDAP, AD, what have you, authentication mechanism. And once you authenticate with Knox, you again RESTful API. It's a nice way to actually interact with Knox so that Knox actually redirects your request saying, you know, this guy is authorized and, you know, allow access to this, this person, this user or application. So according to the documentation for Knox Gateway, it says, quote, while there are a number of benefits for unsecured Hadoop clusters, the mm -hmm. Knox Gateway also complements the Kerberos secured cluster quite yes. nicely. What yes. are the trade-offs between a secured and an unsecured Hadoop cluster? In unsecured cluster, anybody can access anyone's data, right? You can, you can basically say you are, uh, let's say, you know, Jeff is the CEO of a company and he has access to pretty much all the privileged data. I like this Ven example. <laughs> Venkatesh is just an employee in, uh, in, in, in the R&D. And he can go and dig up financial documents that he does not have access to by pretending he's Jeff and get access to that data in an unsecure cluster. Because we believe, you know, you, you, you are telling the truth in an unsecure cluster. So if you want true security where, you know, you, you, want, you don't want to give access to anyone else who is acting as someone else, to prevent such accesses, you have to enable Kerberos and you get true security there to file system Great. to every other component. So I can't, you know, step over someone else's toes. I can't delete someone else's data. I can't look at someone else's data. I can't run queries on data that I don't have access to. Sure. Okay, cool. So, um, and I, and I, I, now we're going to talk about Apache Atlas. I know we're talking about a lot of different technologies. So, but these will all be in the show notes. Um, if, you know, if you didn't understand the, the discussion just now about Knox Gateway, we can, you know, you can look in the show notes. So, but you've also contributed, and I think you're working on right now, Apache Atlas, which is a data governance and governance and metadata platform for Hadoop. What was the motivation for creating Apache Atlas, and and what is Apache Atlas? So, we, you know, after interacting with uh, you know many customers, we realized data governance is a very important. Um, uh, service that our customers expected out of Hadoop. And what does, you know, governance mean? Governance can mean many different things, but, you know, there are there is transparency, auditability, right, security, and traceability. These are the four aspects of governance. And we re quickly realized, you know, without governance, it's very hard for users to put their, you know, financial data and take things to production. So 
we started thinking about um, a solution here. And since we are not experts in, um, in, in this, we actually worked, were working with a consortium. We created a consortium called Data Governance Consortium. And we have you know, retail representation with Target. We have healthcare representation with Aetna. We have um, you know, big financial representation from JPMC. Uh, we have uh, oil and gas, Schlumberger, you know, we have a bunch of, you know, seven or eight co-development partners who are serving as, you know, subject matter experts for us uh, to, to understand what governance is. So, you know, basically what we then came to a solution was we clearly need a core metadata service in the Hadoop ecosystem and marry the bunch of components that we have already built together, kind of put, you know, three or four components in a box to achieve a governance solution. So we realized the gap was the metadata. And Atlas was born as the core metadata engine for Hadoop, which basically exposes a type system, you know, which allows you to or enables you to express your meta models uh, and in, in the type system and have you know, correlation between them and also express a business glossary or taxonomy, which is specific to each vertical, right? And that was how Atlas was born. So there are, you know, we, we are saying Atlas is a core metadata store, but how do we achieve governance? So for security related stuff, so a very simple example is, you know, access, ba- you know, attribute based access control. So all the security related policies, which are stored in Atlas are realized by another product called Ranger, which is a security product. And all the lifecycle features, like, you know, if you want to govern this data, you, you need to dispose this data in 90 days, right? That lifecycle management is realized by Falcon. So Atlas acts as a holistic global metadata store with rationalization of different policies by different engines like Falcon and Ranger. How do people, um, I, I think one of the, one of the big, the big differences between having a batch or an all MapReduce uh, framework versus having a framework that is powered by Spark or Storm is that instead of having uh, a system where each of your soft, each of your your uh, your big data pipelines consists of having a map job, a, a shuffle job, and a reduce job, you know where you've got these three things. Um, with Storm or Spark, you can create this topology where there's a much more generalized sense of the different phases in a pipeline. Would you say that that's accurate? Uh, sure. I mean, you know, as I, as I was saying, right, I mean, you cannot eliminate either of them, right? They both are necessary evil. <laughs> right. Okay. So interesting. Um, so, but uh, let's see. Hmm. So I guess what I'm trying to get at is what in the transition from batch to streaming, what does the software re-architecture process look like? So that's a very good question. So I think the tooling today does not give you a way to run your batch analytics on streaming, which is what I think is, you know, Spark streaming is all about. You could take a logical plan and run it in either batch or streaming mode in Spark. Um, but traditionally, if you're using, you know, Storm and, you know, other things like MapReduce or even Thaze within, uh, within the ecosystem today in your products, you won't be able to take your code and run it as both batch as well as streaming and then collate the results, as I was talking about earlier. 
So there are two different solutions and you have to code up in two different ways. Interesting. Um, and what are the, um, if you have any, if you have any ideas on this, I'd love to get a good answer. But, um, if you don't, that's fine too. But what are the big differences between Storm and Spark? Storm essentially is a type of streaming solution for Hadoop. Spark is an execution layer. So Spark streaming and Storm are, are competing technologies. Okay. But Spark itself is an execution layer, Spark, which is more akin to, you know, MapReduce, a better MapReduce, you know, Thase. You can express any processing in Spark uh, execution uh, engine. Does it make sense? It does. So, it so does. This is a, Spark is a general purpose execution engine versus Storm is an execution engine for streaming analytics. So, okay, if Spark is a general purpose execution engine, um, what is Hadoop? I thought Hadoop was also a general purpose ex- execution Hadoop, engine. Hadoop provides a, um, a execution engine on top of Yarn, which, which was MapReduce, and now it is this. Spark is yet another execution engine. So think of Hadoop as a fabric, a data fabric, okay, where you have your data and a way to partition your compute, okay? Now, the execution engine is the actual runtime which actually takes the data and works on the data and takes the compute that you've written, the the code that you've written, and applies that on, on the data. The infrastructure is Hadoop, but the actual execution runtime is provided by MapReduce, by Thase, Spark, and Flink. So these are the execution runtimes which snap in on top of Hadoop, which are pluggable, right? Now, for Spark to run, it needs first to understand where the data is, which is provided by HDFS, right? Where are the locations? Even before it does that, it needs a set of nodes to be assigned to execute its task. All that is done by Hadoop, which is, you know, which is Yarn here, right? The resource manager. And if you want guaranteed capacity, you need to actually get a cluster of nodes for Spark to submit jobs. The cluster of nodes is given by Hadoop. So would you say that in the past, Hadoop was, uh, you know, HDFS and MapReduce, and now yes. Hadoop is HDFS and X, where X is... HDFS often- and Yarn. HDFS and Yarn. HDFS and Yarn, okay. Yes. Um, and the snapping of execution frameworks is enabled by Yarn, which was not. The only execution framework that was supported in Hadoop 1.x was MapReduce. Right. Right? Now, with Yarn, you have this new possibility. It opens up a whole lot of possibilities for multiple execution frameworks like Spark, Flink, you know, Taze, right? And and roll your own. So tell me about Apache Flink, because this is something that I've heard about in the reporting for these shows, but I, I don't know anything about Apache Flink. So Flink is a very interesting uh, new technology and, uh, and open source as well. So Spark gives you a view. Spark has very nice abstractions, right? Every, you know, programming, uh, you know, runtimes are all about abstractions. So Thase has a certain, you know, level of abstractions, which was modeled after Microsoft Dryad. And Spark kind of gives you a different, you know, sets of abstractions like RDD. RDD, you know, is the fundamental unit of uh, looking at, you know, processing data 
within Spark ecosystem. Flink gives you a different set of abstractions, but it primarily Spark is primarily batch, and streaming is essentially very small batches. Uh, you know, in time, right? One minute uh, window or two minute window is what is streaming. Flink kind of inverts it, and you know, it starts with streaming. Everything is streaming, and batch is essentially longer windows of time, mm. right? So it depends on you know what paradigm that you like to work with, and what is mature out there, right? And what suits your use case. So there is no, you know, silver bullet here. You know what I mean? Yeah. So as so there are, you know, we have seen as a company that, you know, we support Thais and, you know, we support Spark as well. Flink is, you know, kind of new kid in the block. Uh, we are looking at it. You know, I don't know what the formal answer for our support for Flink at this point is. So when you have, I mean, let's talk a bit about that because uh, it seems like a, this this open source uh the business model where you you have like people that are working on some open source software and then you have other people that are providing the open source software as a service it's interesting because if the open source community comes up with a new idea hortonworks or whether you're hortonworks or cloudera or something else they you kind of have to implement it so it's it's this interesting business proposition where you can have these black swans that develop out of the community and then as Hortonworks, you kind of have to support it. So what is the process for, like, do you have a standardized process, like a standardized review process where you look at a new open source technology and say, okay, we, we're going to decide to support it or we're going to decide not to support it? Yeah, you know, it works multiple ways, right? One is if the customers have already adopted certain technology because it's cool and then it stabilizes and, you know, it also makes sense from our perspective, right? We have, a, you know, we have architecture council, we have, you know, management who basically makes these, you know, keeps looking out for cool technologies or creating our own. Like Falcon was created in-house. Atlas was created in-house, right? Uh, everything pretty much was created. We bought, uh, you know, a solution for for security. And Spark is something that we adopted from the open source. Storm is something we adopted from open source because a lot of customers started asking us, you know, we need a streaming solution and we didn't have one. We said, okay, let's adopt Spark. I mean, uh, Storm and, you know, dedicate resources to it. And we have, you know, a few committers in Storm now, three or four. Kafka was the same thing. Kafka was something that we saw there is, you know, demand for it in our, among our customers. And we either, you know, uh, support the open source movement and make it, you know, certified against uh, part of HTTP. We have added security for Kafka and Storm, right, Kerberos. We have Ambari, which is the installer for Hadoop, which is, again, open source. And Ambari installs all these different components. So it's all about, you know, what momentum uh, does the software has? What is the demand from our customers and the viability of the product itself in terms of quality, supportability, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. So I want to talk about something a little more general. How have the fundamental or have the fundamental problems in distributed systems changed since you started working in the space? Wow, it's pretty interesting. <laughs> it's a, uh, you know, to answer it short, I started with Kurba, right, back in you know two thousand, or even earlier at NetDynamics. Uh, it was a startup here which Sun acquired us um, in nineteen ninety eight, nineteen ninety nine. Um, there we used to use Kurba for distribution of services. It was very hard to debug, right? There was. Uh, pretty interesting technology, but very, very hard to debug. Um, it was a nightmare. Uh, 
And then at Thomson Learning, you know, there was Michi Henning, who actually, you know, was one of the uh, primary authors of Kurba, um, Steve Winoski and Michi Henning. Michi Henning got out, he got frustrated and created, you know, with few other cool guys, created something called ICE, Internet Communications Engine, which was a simplified Kurba. And we used that to distribute our indices, you know, for distributed search at Thomson Learning. And Hadoop kind of reinvented its own RPC. Um, Hadoop RPC is extremely optimized for, you know, very large scale uh, uh, clusters. We had, you know, 4,000, 6,000 node clusters at Yahoo. We had, you know, 40,000 nodes in the cluster. This is, you know, 2011 numbers. And we had 26 clusters. Um, Hadoop has evolved a lot. We also learned a lot from, uh, you know, creating a lot of RPC mechanisms. You know, we use protocol buffers now. Uh, that came out of Google. Uh, there was Thrift again, which is you know partly used in you know which is used in Hive, uh, but most of the Hadoop core uses protocol buffers today. So it's been an interesting evolution that there has been a lot of simplification. Uh, in between, there was EJBs as well, right? I mean that was trying to fix what Corba did, but you know it was not successful. Um, so I think there has been a huge evolution in distributed systems, and uh, it never gets easy. But at least the, there are a lot of frameworks, a lot of reference implementations so that we don't have to create from scratch. Do you consider distributed systems more of a philosophy or a science? Uh, it's, it's a science. I mean, you know, there are, there are a lot of things that could go wrong and working through them is the challenge. Uh, that's why there are a lot of, you know, paradigms today, right? There is cap theorem, you know, there is people who don't believe in it. Um, so it, it, it is a science. Are you a believer or a non-believer? Of distributed systems? Of cap theorem. I am a believer. What uh, are you a, uh, a, a, what level of, uh, of orthodoxy are you? I mean, you know, every engineer is very religious about something. Otherwise, I don't consider him an engineer. We all are religious about many things. Um, so we have our own, you know, uh, nuances. To work with but but again if you have the humility that you know without a team you can't you know create something cool well so every, but everybody also has their their own their own uh specific and nuanced beliefs though also so so i'm curious what are your nuanced beliefs of the cap theorem and maybe we should uh quickly define what the cap theorem is and, and maybe uh, interesting you could... that's that's going to take a longer time but you know i, I know the, i know the, we're running low on time but maybe yeah. maybe you could so, just discuss yeah the, the the thing that you know i want to kind of impress upon is the solutions that we have right today because there are many execution frameworks different abstractions i mean even for key value pair we have you know uh the the google uh you know level db we have you know the key value store distributed key value store in hbase there are many key value stores there is cassandra right which is completely different from hbase which offers different semantics right we also have hdfs which is just streaming you know uh, streaming data so there are different, you know, solutions for different use cases. Again, there is no, you know, one size fits all. There is no silver bullet in, in science or in, uh, in, in, in computer science, even among customers, right? I mean, each one has certain, you know, crazy requirements that requires you to make certain trade-off. And engineering is all about trade-off. So if you look at a solution, if you understand what trade-offs have they made to us, or, you know, arrive at this decision, then you clearly understand why and should that be used or not. Because, you know, the, that, that trade-off, does that trade-off work for your domain? 
is the fundamental question that you need to ask. And then pick a technology, right? So I'm not saying we are religious about solutions, but religious about what trade-offs to make based on our experience and based on the domain that you're working with. Because, you know, HBase is not a good key value store for all use cases. Cassandra is winning as well in certain, you know, customers because that's, that's what is their use case and not the kind of use case that HBase supports. You know what I mean? So we have no, strongly consistent systems because it's easier as well. When you are working with scale, HDFS is so simple because, you know, it is, it is very consistent, right? Until all the three replicas are written, the, you know, it won't return to the client. That means either you are successful or you fail. There is no split brain problem, right? Now, Cassandra is, you know, eventually consistent. There are a lot of, you know, uh, things that could go wrong. So if you're interested in distributed systems, you know, I would, you know, offer you to take a look at um, um, Kyle, Kyle Kingsbury. He has a series of blog posts, you know, explaining, you know, how things work. Uh, it's Offer, A-P-H-Y-R, I think is his website. And, you know, the very interesting things he has written, a tool as well to test distributed systems. And, you know, a lot of things fail. I mean, Elasticsearch, you know, MongoDB, they're not, you know, consistent at all. So if you want to understand CAP theorem, that's a good place to start with, in my opinion. Interesting. Okay. Well, so, so just to, to begin to close off, um, I guess I'd like to ask as a final question, what are, the, what are the most interesting problems in distributed systems right now, and what are the most interesting solutions? So I think, you know, how to make distributed systems dead simple is what Hadoop has tried. And I think we have kind of evolved over a lot of crappy things, you know, which was, of course, very useful as well, because there was nothing else, you know, in, in its place. And from MapReduce to where we are with Spark and, you know, Flink and Thes is, I think, a huge evolution because, you know, with few lines of code with these frameworks, you can write very interesting, you know, things and try and write, you know, data science uh, applications on top of Hadoop with very little effort, right? And Spark integrating R, ML, you know, graph, graph ML. It makes it very, very interesting to actually chain a class of problems and then executing them and understanding and deriving insights of data is, is what I think is very promising. Great. Well, Vigitesh Sitharam, thank you so much for coming on Software Engineering Daily. It's been a real pleasure talking to you.